Welcome to another edition of Wampa Radio. This is episode number 23XXIII, and we are a podcast about Star Wars Unlimited. The card game, the culture, uh, the strategies, the 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 sweet Jats beats that we continue right. to pump out. How are Weekly you? Weekly Jats wailing. Jats wailing just on the regular. Got done. <laughs> just got uh, you know, just got back from the Jats Club. Oh, did you? Uh, which, which sounds like a club about a, a League of Legends analyst, but no, it's in fact Star Wars Jazz. In case you maybe missed the week where we had the big uh, Jats music discussion, this is that is the name in Star Wars for Jazz. So there you go. Enjoy. But uh, we'll, we'll we'll talk about this episode though. On, on this episode, we're going to talk about the aspect of cunning. That's right. The final aspect to get a preview from Fantasy Flight Games should be fun. We'll decipher what potential archetypes may emerge in Star Wars Unlimited regarding that aspect. But first, we have, as usual, without much further ado, the Wampa Cave Poll of the Week. So normally this is charmer's lead in that's his duty yeah besides me a little bit there it was i i figured i was like i'm gonna trust you with this doa i think that you can handle it this is the first time i think that it's just you and i without yeah uh r5 d4 and his blown motivator he is <laughs> out doing things but it's good to it's good to keep the schedule chugging along but yeah uh let's talk about the wampa cave pole the cave pole up every sunday at yeah. Wampa Radio on Twitter, this week's question, Doa, was what kind of card-playing style do you most identify with? The options being hmm. control. Are you a control player? There was aggro. Are you an aggressive style player? There's mid-range where you just want to play the best card on curve at the right time. And finally, tempo. yeah, basically, t- mid-range, tempo, kind of, you know, the same thing, more or less. And finally, yeah. mid uh, there's combo. Combo is I have a plan. I'm gonna build up to something big, and then we're gonna see some fireworks. So Doa, playing cards for 25 years or so, what kind of style have you just basically slid yourself into? Um, I you know since the very very beginning, uh, the first in fact the first deck i ever played in any card game was a mono red deck in magic the gathering and i think i played lightning bolt once and i never looked back so i i've been an aggro player you know since i can remember uh and you know sometimes sometimes that archetype gets frowned upon flake and and you know people call it no brain people call it just go face zug zug you know but the fact is is that if you're playing aggro you are playing on a razor's edge from the very first turn, which is what I love about it. I love that you really need to make every move perfectly if you want to win the game, because as soon as you lose control, as soon as you lose momentum, you're kind of done, right? So I kind of, I like that living on the edge style of uh, of aggro play. And that's not to say I haven't, you know, enjoyed other decks from archetypes uh, else uh, aside from that, but I tend to lean towards aggro. So that was my choice. Yeah. Well, those people that you, you discuss are in fact me. The I am those yeah, people. I know. You I know. are the unga bunga smash point <laughs> click delete kind of brainless scum that You're I have. Smarter to... than you think. Uh, well, uh, like the way that you discuss it, I I totally mm. get it. I I completely understand with you there. Um, the the thing about it is again, like for myself, it's usually what you have to trudge through in the lower ranks because they're quick games. They resolve fast, yeah. so the better players are going to be able to advance. It's just, and as 
the the skill level kind of increases, that's where things kind of slow down and aggro decks might not be as prominent or prevalent because you're if they're that good, you're probably facing off against other ones and then but you're right. And like the way that you described it versus the way that it's perceived, you're completely you're completely correct and accurate in I know. that. It, well, I know because the way that you described it is you're <laughs> living on like you have no room for error. If that one yeah. lightning bolt goes to a, a, a unit versus instead of going face, that might be the turning point that becomes dangerous. And mono red red deck wins is is the is kind of like the birthplace of that. Or red, it, well, it was called red sly back when when I started playing it, but that's like late '90s, so you know I admit that was. That was a little while ago, you know, at this point. Uh, it was tossing my Mog Fanatics out with the damage on the stack back when that happened and all that. You know, the the good old days, right? The purer times of, uh, of Magic the Gathering. But then again, I was probably playing more Star Wars CCG at the time anyway. But uh, I, I digress. Yeah, it is it is a great uh, it is a great archetype, and you're more of a control player, aren't you? Oh yeah, you. So you're just the guy where it's like someone else is trying to play the game. And you're like, my spell counters your spell. Oh, my spell counters that spell, and then you're just like, well, I guess I've countered all the spells. So here's <laughs> my huge thing, and there we go. I've played my one card that wins the game. That's how I perceive. Your archetype, just no fun, not really even playing the game. That's what control is to me. So I'm going to <laughs> not deny that. Like the spirit okay. of what you're saying is completely true in the sense you know, space of... stasis exists. Yeah. Well, like, so again, if, <laughs> if I were to sort of push myself into a category of type of player I am, it's probably Esper, like white, red, black, mm. which is white being you know, life gain and and sort of stasis effects and things like that. Um, uh, black being uh, kill spells, destruction, hand destruction, things like that. And blue being denial and card draw. Like, that's basically what it is, which sure. is going to lead us nicely into our episode here about cunning. But the, the joy that I get with it, and this transcends all different card games. Again, in Magic, love playing blue, black, X, be it green or white, never red. It's almost never red. Um, in Hearthstone, it was in the earliest it, uh, renditions of it. It was like Frost Mage, like Ice Mage. Uh, you know, I invented that deck, by the way. You invented the the Ice Mage. I invented deck? I invented Frost Mage in Hearthstone. Yeah, it's a uh, it's one of my my greatest shames because it and I can prove it too because if you look. You will there. You will not find an earlier Frost Mage guide on the internet than my guide on my YouTube channel. It was like a few days into the early beta, so it was wait, it was the wait, first wait. guide on that deck that came out. Yeah. So dropping ice block, then hitting with the double fireball. Uh, so it's like the Alexstrasza into double fireball Frostbolt finisher. Well, at that time it was a lot of like Antonitis unlimited fireballs. Oh, that right, kind of right, stuff. right. But, Antonitis. But the. The original intent with that deck was I wanted to uh, back in like way back in Magic, people would build what are what they referred to back then as direct damage decks, which is where you had no creatures, you only use spells. Um, and so I was curious at that time if I could make a deck in Hearthstone that was no creatures, that was just only spells. And so doing Mage and doing Frost Mage specifically seemed like the most obvious way to put a deck together like that. And uh, it did include. Uh, creatures in that included two leper gnomes i think the first version did i don't even know if the first version included antonitis honestly but uh the idea was to beat your opponent with only direct damage and not play any creatures at all so but then i then then you know 
the deck came out and people were like, oh, this is just really good to just lock down the game completely. And yeah. it was a scourge of uh, of the meta for like the first two years of the game. Dude, like one of the original combos was like freeze the board, drop a Doomsayer, and then you yeah. get all the tempo. Um, that was like the first expansion, I think. Was, was Doomsayer out in the first set? Doom, Doomsayer, I think, I think it was, was the in, second set. It might have been right. the first. I don't know if it was Goblins and Gnomes or if it was that one. All this to say, like from those days of playing Frost Mage into Control Warrior into like um, uh, like uh, Handlock, all the way through to mm-hmm. I'll even say most recently, like a uh, up to about you know this past spring, I was playing uh, Death Knight Control, which again okay. board clears and you know I just like it because it's it's a lot more resource management intensive because when you're playing Red Deck Wins and you're playing Burn. I get it. Like the way that you described it is that you're on this fine razor's edge where one false move and you lose because you'll lose all your tempo, all every every card in your hand matters. And it's kind of the same with control and certain control variants because that one counterspell you're holding, you have to then decide, is it worth it to to counterspell the three drop or wait for something bigger. There's a lot more. You need to almost understand your opponent's deck just as well as your own. And I always appreciated yeah, sure. that. And that that transcended for me to other games like like Gwent or um, Cards, the World War II card game, Mythgard, all these other decks that were very that had those tools and elements to them to win in the long run. I found a lot more satisfaction in that. And all the way to the fact that like this morning I uh, I was playing ranked on arena and I was playing domain ramp, um, which has a lot of control elements to it. And they're grindier games, but they're to me they feel very rewarding. And not to say mm. that there's no merit in piloting a red deck wins list to just burn face, but to me the satisfaction out of all three, all four of these, is going to be control combo. Sounds fun, but I find that combo is more more about digging and crossing your figures than it is about making um, sustained amounts of decisions over time. A lot of combo decks uh, trend towards being more like solitaire is what I would call them, where you're not really interacting with your opponent that much. You're just trying to like manipulate your deck in a way that lets you set up that combo that then you play it and then the game is just kind of over. So I there are combo decks that are fun in that you're trying to play a game of sort of like controlly keep away while you set things up. But I feel like for whatever reason in the last like 10 5 to 10 years of of card games a lot of control uh combo decks like i said lean more towards that just solitaire play style and and i don't like that too much i don't like the non-interactive decks so yeah combo is pretty hit and miss with me lately well i'm excited to see what star wars unlimited is going to be offering us in terms of these four archetypes and yeah uh let's go to the results here uh the results being in the lead the winner of the poll was by a decent chunk yeah by a solid 10 percent is mid-range at Hmm. 37.4 percent mid-range decks um i'm trying to sort of give i would say even as much as like druid in hearthstone kind of was more ramp oriented it also wanted to play on curve but the the fact was that mid-rangey stuff yeah Yeah. it it just accelerated its curve beyond Mm -hmm. what you were capable of but um mid-range i think is probably what most players play with that whether they know it or not they'll play mid-range well like you know on turn one you want to play a one drop then a two drop, then a three drop, then a four drop. It's not about, sure. okay, I want to dump four one cost spells on turn four. That's kind of what mid range is. And it's leading the poll. 
Yeah, and I mean, I I think that will be a, a big style of play. And uh, honestly, in, in a lot of first sets of card games, you see that be kind of the style where you kind of need to just be competing on board because there's not an, enough support for various archetypes to go all in on one or two kind of ideas. So first sets do end up being kind of mid-range leaning in general, I feel like. And, and uh, I'd have to go back and look at everything that's revealed to sort of give you my take there. But... What I have noticed from the games that I have played is that uh, you do really want to try to play on curve, it feels like, in, in this game initially, where uh, because the uh, uh, damage is is uh, something that sort of like stays right, so one card can take out two smaller cards, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So having that bigger card uh, can be better than playing two smaller cards sometimes. So th that's very... that's a really huge generalization of the idea but uh i do think you'll probably want to play on curve quite a bit early on in this game we'll see you'll you'll want to play that wampa that four for four five that's a perfect example of a great uh you know tempo-y mid-rangey kind of card what a great card that is the wampa is going to be so good Draft, no bias though no yeah. bias at all um <laughs> second place were the cultured ones that with control at 27.3 sure. percent you scum of the earth aggro fiends are at 18.2%, and uh, just behind there at 17.2% is Combo. And I'm wondering mm. why um, Aggro and Combo fell, fell off so much. I don't know if it's just Aggro players, you know. <clears throat> Aggro's uh, too hard for a lot of people to play well. And that's, that's the truth. That's the opposite of what a lot of people tell you, but that's the truth, is that... It's hard to play. It's easy to play aggro in a mediocre way. It's hard to play aggro at the highest level because, again, there's no margin for error. And it's kind of similar with combo as well. Combo is something where you have to be patient to really learn a deck a lot of times. You're not going to be playing the game in the standard way if you're playing a combo deck. Um, so that, that doesn't surprise me too much because I feel like those are the two archetypes that are they're probably the most difficult overall to play. So there you have it, friends. That is your Wampa Cave Poll of the Week. Uh, again, People every... are going to hate that I said that, by the way. Of they're, course. They're going to hate that take, but it's true. Deal so, with it. <laughs> again, like I've, uh, having played for 25 years card games or whatever, and like I've been exposed to aggro decks. When I say that aggro, you know, when I you know talk smack about aggro, it's not because sure. I'm saying that it's not it's it's too easy to play and it's i find it boring and i or i don't get the same satisfaction as i do when i'm making more uh decisions uh that are control oriented decisions i like to play yeah, by my own terms fine. but that isn't to say that aggro decks do not take the same amount of skill to pilot successfully if it was that simple if that were the case then it would basically be the random amounts of people winning tournaments with the same deck but it's not it's the same amount of p it's the same types of people playing aggro because it does it's a skill that you have to everybody's refine. got to have your pre their preferences you know i mean and, and that's uh that's i think one of the really important things to think about when you're designing a card game is you want to make sure that you have like those archetypes available for people to play uh that's uh so you know same i so, gotcha that is something it's all you know you need it all you need it all um, so I also want to, so there's two things before we get to the headlines. Number one is, uh, it's cold. So I'm wearing oh. this, uh, this beautiful, I'll call it a, a tauntaun pelt of a blanket over top of me. You kind of uh, look like you're ready to play for the band Weezer or something like that with that on. <laughs> yeah. 
It's very warm, though. I love it. And the second thing is, I don't know if people can see it on camera, but uh, your box of Jabba's Palace cards was replaced with what looks like a Life Day Wookiee. <laughs> That's that is true. Can you can I, you bring that so to us? I just thought it looked I just thought it looked better on the shelf. It was easier to sort of like see than the the box of Jabba's Palace, which I feel a little bad about, but it's it's true. Yeah, they they yeah, can't so see it on the on the. We didn't I, talk about this before we started recording, but yeah, it is it is a Life Day uh, Chewbacca uh, action figure that was just released <laughs> recently, and I thought you know from the from this good old Star Wars holiday special, and this is an official Star Wars product. Look at that, you got Hasbro and Disney on the background. Yeah. So this is more official acknowledgement that the the holiday special is a, a real and valid thing, dude. So first of all, that that um that series of figurines i have the first like two waves of them because in the same well in the same way (laughs) that all these collectibles come out they're branded as exclusive limited runs so at the time i went out and i hunted them down including Mm. the ultra rare super exclusive um disney celebration exclusive luke skywalker in his x-wing gear I actually oh, cool. managed to to track one of those down, and I was like, I have the to- whole collection. I have all eight figures plus the ultra rare chase one, and nice. the Darth Vader that only comes in like the playset display. I have all of those, and then they're like, oh, we're releasing new ones, and I was like, I thought that was it, so I I gave up. But when I saw that one, that one almost got me to buy another wave of those things because that thing is absolutely. I'm- so I'm not a big I'm not a big action figure person. I I never really have been since I was like a kid, I guess. But I, I've got a couple of them. There, every once in a while, a figure comes along that sort of like just captures my heart. And and uh, you know, come on. Now they got to release the whole set. I need the whole family. I need my lumpy, <laughs> uh, itchy, and Mala action figures. So Hasbro, uh, if you're out there, um, you know, I'll, I'll give you money if you make those. Yeah. So so that, you know, think about it. Well. Yeah. It looks like he's coming out of like a Turkish bathhouse. Like he's got like this robe on. All the all the Wookies wear this red robe and they they hold that like glowing sphere. Um and then they sort of walk into like a sun looking thing. And then the greatest moment is we find out uh when Carrie Fisher sings for us in the holiday special, which she had a lovely voice too, a lovely singing voice. Um she sings uh lyrics to the Star Wars theme. Who knew that that theme had lyrics? Well, if you watch the Star Wars holiday special, it's out there and it does. It's not on Disney Plus yet. You still have to find it by, let's say, less than official means, but uh, it's on YouTube. It's it's not that hard to find, actually. Wasn't it so. on Disney Plus? Didn't they upload it? No, I don't know. It was never on Disney Plus. Mm. No. Not as I, far as I know. I know yeah. what you're saying, though. Like, finding out oh, that yeah. there were lyrics to the Star Wars theme is kind of like finding out after listening to, like, a McDonald's ad with, like, I'm loving it, and then realizing that it's an actual Justin Timberlake song. Like, <clears throat> it's a whole thing. And you're like, oh, I don't right. want to. I'm not interested anymore. It is? It is. It is. The I'm loving it thing is a Justin Timberlake song? Yeah. So there was a Lego Star Wars holiday special, but... The actual Star Wars Holiday Special is not available officially anywhere yet. Yeah, yeah. it'll come. You know, out. there's there's the famous rumor, the quote uh, attributed to George Lucas uh, at a, at some convention, and which may or may not be true. He might have never said this, but the quote was that uh, he he allegedly 
told uh, people at this convention that if he had enough time and a sledgehammer, he'd go around the world and smash every copy of the Star Wars Holiday Special. Well, between, and if you watch it, you might get some insight why, you know. Between him doing that and Steven Spielberg crushing every NES version of the E.T. video game, I'm sure that... Uh, that, by the way, if completely unrelated, friends, if you want a fun rabbit hole to go down video, like YouTube video-wise... Find out the history and finality of the E.T. Nintendo Entertainment System video game and the history of that game. It is... Uh, Yeah, I thought it was Atari. Oh, was it Atari? I think it was Atari, yeah. Maybe it was Atari. Uh, I could be wrong. Ultimately, though, what a a story. What a a horrible story for the Earth, but still. Um, Yeah, it was uh, the age of uh, video game movie tie-ins that did not work out. Um, speaking of this, this is totally, we're getting totally off topic now, but without Charmer here, we need to fill this time somehow. But, uh, so have you ever seen the movie Surf Ninjas? I, it It rings a bell. 1993, uh, at the peak of like ninja mayhem in the United States and maybe the Western hemisphere in general, um, there was a movie made, uh, that starred Ernie Rice Jr., who was Kino in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze, and also was in the Donatello suit, the first Ninja Turtles movie during fight scenes, but that's a, that's, I digress. Um, but it was, uh, this movie was, it was a really, like, so bad that it's good, but also just kind of, like, great, uh, just cheesy action film from the early 90s. It was made for kids, of course. Um, but it was partially financed by Sega uh, to show off this, their Sega Game Gear handheld console that was a thing back then. One of the characters is, has like mystical abilities, but his ability is to see like the future and stuff that's going on through his Game Gear um, by playing the Surf Ninjas video game. So that, that was another game that was developed in tandem with the film and then released around the same time of this film. They both they both kind of flopped. It was like a $7 million budget and only made like four and a half at the box office. Holy so. crap. But hopefully they made more of the video game. Who knows? That's back when it. movies can be made for that amount, right? Like I was well, watching low a, budget movies. Sure, I, I, I was. It was late last night. And I was going through this YouTube rabbit hole where I watched a video: top ten failed TV shows of 1991. That what is a, very specific. Very specific. I thought it was the 90s. No, it was just that year. They were pumping out all kinds of horse crap. But one of them was about a, a show called Baby Talk that was based on the the film franchise, Look Who's Talking. Oh, I remember those movies. So that movie, like Look Who's Talking, and if you want to sort of put things into perspective, it came out in like the early 90s, like 91 or something like that, or 1990. And the whole premise of the movie is that it's like John Travolta and uh, (laughs) I forgot who else, but there's a she has a baby and you just hear the inner monologue of the baby. Like, that's mm-hmm. all it is. And it was pretty funny. But that took off. Like, But putting things in perspective about budgets of movies, that movie grossed like $250 million. It costs like $8 million to make. You don't yeah. make movies for that much anymore. Like, it was if you, a big hit. It was a big hit. But the thing about it is, like, you think about it, even the most ridiculously mundane, do-nothing Bobo movies are still, like, $80 million to put together now. It's just crazy how these things have happened. But So uh, there was never a video game made of look who's talking now though. That's that's a that's the <laughs> no. main problem. We never we never got our SNES uh, look who's talking now video game. No, but uh, I think that over the court like in the early 2000s we got enough 
like Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen style video games and like Zach and Cody video games that I'm pretty sure, sure. we suffered in other ways. But let's uh, let's go to the headlines, friends, for Star Wars Unlimited this week. Um, I didn't comb as finely as I normally do because the cutting stream occurred, which was uh, it happened uh, today, actually, when we're recording this, yeah. which is November 8th. Yeah. So that's all I have, more or less. Um, I apologize. I didn't really comb through it. It's been a rough week, but ultimately, the important part is is that we learned about cunning. And I watched that stream, and the most important part about this is, uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about this, is that what the way they kind of tagged this is th- that that aspect to put into perspective is that cunning is the aspect about making your opponent uncomfortable and messing up their well laid plans and i like that yeah uh it's a uh, it's it's got that neat aspect to it where it's got removal but it's removal for a discount because it sends things back to your hands that kind of stuff um and you know in a game like this too where resources build up turn over turn having something bounce back to your hand after you've spent you know nearly all of your resources or all of your resources playing it is pretty devastating so it's some it's a, some strong tools um, there's also the resource manipulation aspect of it too, which is going to be really, really fun to play with. So yeah, overall, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty hyped about this aspect. There's a lot of neat stuff coming out of it. There certainly is. So I do invite everybody to go check out the article regarding cunning, go check out the stream from FFG to make, uh, to make this a little bit clearer. Uh, they did drop nothing more in terms of gameplay related mechanics they clarified some of the the basic templating rules such as if you are drawing it's always off the top and if you're discarding otherwise unless otherwise indicated it's always off the top it's kind of just some of the cleaning up of the mechanics of the game but we did get some spoilers and we've got a bunch of spoilers this week doa so would you like to lead us off in the into spoiler land yeah, sure. Uh, welcome to Spoilerland, uh, where the population of Vigilance cards is just one this week, uh, which uh, is not, not cunning. But we have Search Your Feelings, which is a four-cost Vigilance villainy card. Search your deck for a card and draw it, then shuffle your deck. So just straight up search for a card. You, we've got our tutor in, in uh, our Magic the Gathering tutor in Star Wars Unlimited now. Um, it's a villainy card, which, which uh, limits it quite a bit um i wonder if we're going to get a heroism side version of of card searching i don't recall seeing one yet um so that's a little bit of an interesting uh, aspect to this no pun intended uh but you know again tutors are always very very strong um i could see this card fitting in very easily in a more control oriented deck where you've got the board a little bit locked down you can afford to spend four resources to find another card that's going to have a big impact later in the game because you don't need to reveal it so you're not really giving away any information by doing this so um for four it it feels like a pretty good card in you know the archetypes that would support it so yeah i think it's it's neat to see how new games work uh you know popular or traditional game mechanics into their cards and uh it seems like a, a pretty pretty interesting one from star wars yeah Oh, it's great, and and I, I get what you're saying in terms of will there be a heroism equivalent. I'm okay if there's not. Uh, I don't think mm. that everything needs to be mirrored in that regard. I think that it's important to have these two uh, aspects, these bigger overarching aspects like villainy and heroism, have their own strengths and weaknesses. And if there's a tutor ability here, then that's cool because 
I think it was on the last episode where I mentioned it may and it may have actually been in private where I mentioned I said villainy command vigilance that sounds to me like the esper of of this game it sounds to me like that three color control oriented combo whereas mm-hmm. I understand that cunning will eventually slide into that and I'm kind of reevaluating whether it's vigilance whether it's command that comes out uh, or whether it's villainy in in total but ultimately here having something like this a tutor when we saw the cards before those big boys from last week like the devastator the 10 10 drop mm-hmm. you know that to me is an end game piece that is a we're gonna we're gonna play this and we're playing it to win the game if you don't find that piece you're in trouble so if your whole game is to ramp up to a big piece but then you don't find it all you're finding are the helper cards you can't feel good about that so sometimes search your feelings a card like this is almost Im- imperative to those late game big sort of uh hulk buster type cards yeah um i'll i'll go back to uh to what i always talk about too which is the art and i i, I like the art on this card um it's uh i like that the the light from the lightsaber is lighting the scene appropriately uh the background is not super detailed but it's detailed enough to know that he's in the cave we all recognize the scene if we've watched empire strikes back you know um everything's well rendered so yeah nice card art too it's probably going to be another one that looks pretty good in uh, hyperspace i mean i think the vast majority of cards are going to look pretty awesome in hyperspace but this one in particular i'm looking forward to see i do like this one uh luke looks a little bit like joey lawrence in this one <laughs> i was for some reason the the luke skywalker head in the helmet reminded me of taylor swift i don't know why but it, it just kind of does <laughs> so i'm kind of like it's halloween and, and he's he's killed taylor swift oh no oh uh, well he's wearing a darth vader costume i guess i think she's rich enough now to warrant having body doubles so we'll just say that it was a body double <laughs> like saddam hussein or something like that he's got a bunch of <laughs> Like body doubles just in case someone's out to get <laughs> No, I don't I don't think she has to worry about that. Um this one is uh was revealed by Scrawl, by the way. I also want to give thanks again to Swoo DB for having these up and available. Go to SwooDB, SWDB.com for deck building, spoilers, all that stuff. Go check them out. Next one. Now we're into cunning, friends, and this is a one-drop single aspect cunning. It is a space unit called the Mining Guild TIE Fighter. It's a one attack, two body, fringe, vehicle, fighter. It says on attack, you may pay two. If you do, draw a card. That, again, revealed by scroll. Okay, so first impressions. Uh, One aspect, one drop, one two. Stat-wise, garbage. But your one drops, in my opinion, unless you're a go-faced red deck wins type of deck should be utility should be should have some sort of greater effect um paying two to draw a card this is more of those okay let's accelerate let's dig let's find um the problem is is i don't know whether like this this card to me is a card that's going to have to wheel itself into a bigger picture type situation like what i was mentioning like building up to a devastator or a, a, a big bad if you will um sure not not super impressed but i like the utility of this one drop yeah i mean i think it's going to be another one of those cards that's pretty good and limited because uh, you're going to be looking for early drops and limited probably a lot of times so being able to put down uh, something in space on turn one you might be able to poke with some damage for a couple turns unless they're able to match 
Um, you know, you've got the option, I think, which is another pretty good, you know, limited thing where if you don't have a, a turn two drop, if you're somehow lacking three drops, uh, you can pay two and search for something or not search for something, just draw a card. But yeah, it's it's not a card that unless you really, really need to have either a, a fringe vehicle or a fighter or something like that, unless you really need more cards of like this type or trait in your deck for a different reason, I, I don't know if you're going to be able to uh, you're going to be including a ton of them. It, it feels like a limited card to me, which is what I've been, you know, thinking a lot more now looking at some of these cards. But hey, I mean, in set one, all bets are off, right? We don't know what we're going to have access to across all of these archetypes yet. So if you're playing, you know, a, a space heavy deck that relies on fighters or fringe or something like that, you know, then there might be room for something like that in this because, you know, nothing wrong with dropping something in space on turn one. That, that's going to usually feel pretty good. I like it. Um we we should let you guys know again when we'll remind you throughout the times that we are going to give you a more in-depth breakdown of the cards uh give them like ratings and such as well as more of an archetype mm -hmm. kind of breakdown as the cards become all revealed we don't want to give you and say like this card is good or bad because we don't have the whole picture um i was actually thinking about this earlier and a lot of the discussion that goes around evaluating cards it's like okay if you could pick a football team and like are you going to bet on them for to, to win or not unless you know what their competition is you don't you don't know because i'll take the owen 16 raiders or whatever but if they're playing against a high school team i'll put money on them like that's kind of what we're at right here so it's hard to sure. evaluate yeah i mean it's but that's that's part of the fun right is the speculation and everything so we're you know we're we're saying what we our opinions are based on what we know that is all we can do at the moment so sure you know i think that's uh that's it's just what it'll be, you know. We'll, we'll tell you what we can with what we've got, you know. Deal. Uh, all right, next up, uh, Doa. Uh, let's see. We got the Lothal Insurgent. All right, a two for a three-two. But when played, if you played another card this phase, each opponent draws a card, then discards a random card from their hand. So uh, this is this is really interesting, actually, because... You can, you can do it a couple different ways. Getting a 3-2 two for 2 is just kind of a nice aggressive move. If you play this as the first card you play in the phase, you're not going to need to worry about the effect, right? Because it only comes uh, into effect if you have played another card this phase. So you can either drop it right away, get a 3-2 two for 2, you know, maybe on your next action you get a, a value positive trade with something on their side. So I like it from that perspective. Uh, then add into that... Uh, you can do the when played thing. You know, if you've already done something else that turn, uh, each opponent draws a card and then discards a random card from their hand. So um, while I don't love the idea of my opponent drawing a card, the random discard aspect of it, you're kind of rolling the dice a little bit, you know, with uh, and with it being a cunning aspect, with that sort of being Han Solo's aspect of it, the gambler's aspect, if you will, I like a bit of gambling there where you're saying, hey, you know, maybe we'll get lucky and they'll discard something that's going to be uh, that they really, really needed. So I think this card is useful in kind of like both of those scenarios. So so I, I like this one. Oh, I think it's a pretty cool card. Yeah, big time. Um, and to tell you sort of the impact of what this might mean, because again, it is particularly a, a, a gambling-esque type card because you are not guaranteed the result of what the on playability. But I'm going to give you a little scenario that happened to me yesterday. I'm playing Hearthstone Arena, okay? My opponent has 
eight cards in hand. Hand limit is 10. If you draw above your hand limit, that card basically is banished. It disappears. Yeah. I had a card that says both players draw two. And in my head, I was like, well, I'll clog his hand. Maybe I get lucky. I clogged his hand, and he burnt um, a legendary card that if you kill it, it just keeps coming back and back. It's basically their win condition. And that, again, it's a gamble. It's There's no guarantee. But I took the risk because you're right. Because the amount of time they, – they conceded after that. Like that was their win con, win con and, and they couldn't get back from mm -hmm. that. But these types of things typically happen much like, for example – in flesh and blood if you hit somebody with crippling crush or a pummel they have to discard and Ugh. or there's cards were banishing off the top as an assassin sometimes you hit their win cons and that feels amazing like you know milling your opponent in limited magic like you'll hit their bomb and you're like that is a that is as good as a removal spell in certain oh, yeah. cases and the stat line for this a three two it's a rebel by the way as a tagline it's dual aspect, it's coming heroism, but if you're building around it, dropping the tie and then dropping this, they draw a card, shuffle their hand, and discard one, you might absolutely devastate their plans. And this goes back to the mantra of cunning as they described it, which is you want to make your opponents feel as uncomfortable and, and uncertain as possible. And I think that Lothal Insurgent does an excellent job doing that. Yeah, I think uh, it's going to be hard not to find a useful... Uh scenario to play this card in especially in limited it's going to be another you know good one there but i think even constructed this one you know in set one at least could see some play so yeah like like i said pretty pretty solid looking card pretty cool to see out of a common yeah yeah no definitely um again thank you to spice squadron you guys can check out spice squadron other great content creators for spoiling this one next up we have a base i think the streak of requesting a base off of like the internet twitter poll for Star Wars U, has it's been a base every single time. Uh, That's cool. I think it's cool too. It's it's the unsexy pick, but damn it, it's the most important pick in my opinion. I think that bases yeah. are so so important. I mean, they're so integral in, in uh, deck building, right? Uh, so I think that's why everybody wants to see the bases, you know, because they want to think about what kind of decks can I possibly build. Uh, did, should I do this one? Do I just did the last one. You should do this one. We'll just go back and forth. Sure. Uh, so this is Jetta City. It's the cunning base. It is a 25 health location. Uh, tagline or the tribal, quote unquote, is Jetta. So we're going to have other Jettas, but it's Jetta City. It has an epic action. Give a non-leader unit minus four, minus zero for this phase. So you epic action. You make something a little less scary, and then maybe you tank into it. I really like this. This is uh, honestly another target of opportunity kind of thing. And again, in describing what cunning was meant to do, uh, I think it was Tyler Parrott who mentioned that this is a uh, this is an aspect that wants to mortgage the future for the benefits of, of right now. It doesn't mm -hmm. care about later. It wants to gain constant momentum. It wants to it wants to double down and let it ride over and over and over again. So Jetta City is another one of, let's just minus four and minus O this. Let's take care of it. I don't want to hold on to this, uh, onto this uh, ability unless it, you know, if it feels good, so. Yeah, and it's it's a potentially very strong ability too. You know, it's a, the question with all these 25 health bases is, is the ability worth it, you know? And it's going to be a very skill testing type of thing 
where, uh, you know, if you, you know, botch the usage of this ability, if you, you know, say you do this and then they find a way to, you know, do damage to whatever you're trying to prevent from doing damage anyway, then, uh, you know, then you're out five health for nothing, right? But, you know, if you use this, you know, when they're about to attack with something and it's a very crucial attack and they can't do anything else but attack with that, um, you know, then this could be game changing, right? So, you know, I, I'm very, very interested to see how all of these 25 health bases play out because I'm not convinced yet if any of the abilities on the bases are worth taking the five health hit. Um, but, you know, there's, there's obviously going to be scenarios where there are, but I don't know if there's going to be enough of them. So it's a really interesting experiment with, you know, how they make bases in this game. So uh, it's it's interesting to see this stuff. I'm just kind of curious how impactful it's actually going to be. You know, how, how often we're going to see someone take that five health hit in exchange for that epic action. So yeah, it's, it's a lot to think about. I was having that kind of internal struggle as well when it came down to the value of bases versus the plus five healthier. And mm -hmm. I think that if you're, you would, in my opinion, I'd take a 30 health base over um, a random like utility effect most of the time. However, unless the base was significantly dialed into what my deck is looking to do, like if there was yeah. synergy and combo elements there, like the, the minus four minus O here, the way I'm looking at it is it's to create a, a, a a beneficial trade it's like to sort of soften the blow on a trade or it's to turn another card online something that affects something that has like oh if it has four or less hell like four or less attack or you know like defeat a unit that has like six or less attack or something like that like if it brings something to earth that you can combo with another card that to me feels right not to mention we haven't seen all the cards yet if there turns mm. out to be a deck with a card that becomes super problematic and there's a card that can deal with it, but it's limited by the fact that that card has X amount of attack value, then Jeddah's going to be a, a good a good option. But for now, I, I in my opinion, I feel like the five extra health feels good, but we'll see. Again, anytime that you can gain board control to your advantage, that is worth 10 life, frankly, more than anything else in my, in my opinion. But yeah, I'll have to keep an eye on it. Yeah. All right, next one. Shall we move on? Yeah, uh, we've got no good to me dead. It's a it's a plan. It's an event, <laughs> and it's a plan. It costs two. It's cunning villainy. It says exhaust a unit. That unit can't ready this round. Uh, so that is potentially pretty devastating because it includes leader units. Notice it doesn't say non-leader unit. So you could play this theoretically at the start of your your turn. Um, your first action could be to exhaust their leader. Their leader wouldn't ready until the end of the next turn, uh, until the regroup phase of the next turn, which is, which is kind of crazy. Um, yeah, because yeah. it says it specifically says too, including during the regroup phase. So that means ex exhausted for the action phase. Regroup phase happens, doesn't ready. Then you get the next action phase, it's still not ready, and then finally the next regroup phase, it can ready again. So you can really take something out of action for like a long time with this card, and at a cost of only two, um, that is that is powerful. I saw this card and I was like, wow, all right, that's gonna, that is gonna upset people. Talk about making people uncomfortable. I think Tyler is gonna very successfully make a lot of people very uncomfortable when they have this card played against them. So I wanna, well done there. <laughs> I wanna know who the the mastermind is who kind of was at the helm of cunning as, as uh, an option here, because 
I'm gonna I'm gonna go on a limb here. You want to talk about hot okay. takes? You want to talk about a little bit of prognostication, Doa? Sure. Yeah. I'm going to say that, and it was confirmed that there will be bans and stuff like that. If there's a card that gets banned or eroded, I my suspicion is that this is going to be a potential early candidate for it because of what you said because they spend 10 resources to jam something on the board that's enormous like the devastator uh-huh. you no good to me dead it and now that card is worthless for two whole two whole turn cycles right yeah. so there there's going well i mean it has sentinel so maybe not but you know what i mean but like you put something big and you for for a minute fraction of the cost that they paid you render it useless for two whole turns Beyond that, you might draw another one of these. You might draw whatever. Like the, it, you're right. Like cunning is going to drive people bananas, and this card I think is going to be a prime culprit of that. You know, I, th- I think you brought up a really good point though. Where if something has sentinel, it's still going to be blocking. Um, they still have to attack into it. So even if it's even if it's uh, exhausted, it's still going to be participating at least in a way. Uh, so there is aspects like that that make this card slightly less powerful than it would be in other games there's other things too where like we don't know if maybe there's going to be you know reliable ways to ready cards that are uh exhausted which that's a whole mechanic you need to be worried about because that can lead to all sorts of you know crazy shenanigans balance wise but if that kind of stuff exists um elsewhere in the set then maybe that you know reduces the impact of this card too so that's a, some. Whenever we're looking through all these cards, too, we we can see things that look like they might be extremely strong, and this card certainly does. Um, but we don't know if there's maybe other things out there that we're going to find out about that you know bring this kind of more in line and make it a little bit less scary. So uh, at the moment, looks like a very good card if you're playing cunning. It looks like a very scary card if you're playing against cunning. Um, but you know we need to see what the rest of the set looks like too. I I can't wait to play cunning. Like I know that I mentioned villainy command <laughs> vigilance, but uh-huh. I I might be a four color fiend man. It might I might pay the taxes. We don't know. Hey, I mean with our with our next card, uh, I I would almost uh, I'd be very tempted to throw this in some other decks here. I mean we've got uh, well you you can, you can do it. It's your turn. Go ahead. Sure. It's a two cost event called Spark of Rebellion, which on the stream they said was the original name of this was supposed to be Sabotage, but they stuck with Spark of Rebellion, which ended up being the name of the the first the flagship set. Right. It's a mm. cunning and vigilance dual aspect two car uh, two cost rare event. Spectre is the tag on it. It says, very simply, look at an opponent's hand and discard a card from it. This, my friends, is Thoughtseize. It's uh, your standard black, look at your hand, discard a card of your choice kind of situation. This card, I think, is going to drive people absolutely freaking wild. I think that this card is, is precisely in the right wheelhouse of rarity potency costs cost you know a value etc i think that this card is a very good design obviously it's it's borrowing from some other card games and predecessors but a lot of cards will do that but if you know magic and you know thoughtsies it is an incredibly important effect to the degree that i mean you and i do are lucky enough to talk with many magic pros uh that still compete or have competed who have played mm-hmm. in ex- in, for years. I remember hearing from our friend Tan and Grace who mentioned that there was a, a time where 
he got thought seized in game one of a best of three on the first turn and just forfeited, immediately forfeited. The reason being that he didn't want to give any information to his opponent by saying, I still have two games that I have to win. He'll look at my hand. My hand's not good. My chances of winning this game are practically zero. I'm going to scoop. Spark of Rebellion. Nice. Yeah, well, Spark of Rebellion is like, it's it's the it's the so selective nature of picking their the threat that you don't want to deal with and then also knowing everything that they could possibly do moving forward that's yeah. huge i i think this card's gonna get banned i i think uh I'll, I'll say it now i think this is the the top of my list for potential ban candidates uh once the once the competitive scene gets rolling because this card is just in, well, first of all, I've never really liked this type of ability in a card game. Being able to just go through your opponent's hand and get rid of something you don't like, it's <laughs> its too strong. Like, Sounds like a red call, player to me! <laughs> this, Yeah, but the thing is, I'm not worried about it in the early game, though. I'm worried about this in the late game. Uh, if you can, you know, kind of incorporate this into another late game turn, that is just straight-up game-winning sometimes, right? If you're on, like, six resources and you use two of them to play this and then, you know you derail their entire turn at that stage in the game. Um, that's, that is very strong. And I know it's a rare and, and I know it's restricted by, you know, being dual aspect and all that. Um, but I, I don't know. I've never liked this kind of ability in card games because I feel like it's too, my main reason is I feel like it's too anti-fun. Um, I feel like playing card games, a big part of it should be responding to what your opponent has on the board with what you have in your hand, coming up with cool plans, mapping out your turn, and then executing your plan and being like, okay, that went well, how'd that go? Reworking it. And so when someone can just dive into your hand, get all the information, and then remove whatever you need the most, it's such an unfun experience that uh, I, I don't like it, frankly. I think it turns people off from card games. So, so you know, just straight up, I don't like this card. I think it's probably going to be too strong in a competitive sense. Um, I'd ban it. Uh, and yeah, I just don't, I just don't straight up. Don't think this mechanic belongs in card games. That's a very strong op opinion, but that's, that's how I feel. Yeah. I think it's anti-fun. I'm going card to, game should be fun. I'm going to borrow a term, a phrase from a flesh and blood pro and flesh and blood analyst who sure. said to me that card games are a, um, zero-sum fun game. I can have fun <laughs> at the expense of yours, and it equals zero at the end of it. Like I, any fun I have has to be at your at your negative your your fun deficiency, as it were. And this is precisely it. The, we we should do an episode. Mm, once all the cards are out, we should do an episode of like our top five potent like ban ban radar type cards. And yeah. I agree. And I'm really worried that four of the five are going to be cunning cards because of precisely what you said. <laughs> Maybe. Well, the value, yeah. the value return of these cards like this, like the previous one, like any of the bounce effects, like waylay, et cetera. It's, it's immense because you're getting, and again, this, this goes back to the philosophy of mortgaging the future for gains today. If I bounce a big card, it doesn't go away. It just means I don't have to deal with it right now. I mean, that's, it's, it's the it's the millennials of 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 planning you know it's mm -hmm. like well let's just do it right now and like figure and, and worry about it later or is that boomers i don't know but still i i would suspect doa that you're right that this card is gonna is gonna this whole 
Aspect is going to have the same kind of anger and angst that Blue does in Magic. Yeah, I mean, with this card, this card is so good that if I was playing either Cunning or Heroism, I would include three of them and pay the tax. That's um, a... I think it's I think it's that good. I would pay four in a heartbeat to look at my opponent's hand and get rid of whatever is going to be the biggest threat, you know, because it, it, I, I feel like in a game like this, that's extremely strong. So, so we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Like I said, I naturally don't like this effect in card games, so I'm going to just wish it didn't exist. Um, but I also think it's just going to be too strong. So we'll, we'll see. I might eat my words later, but that's my, uh, that's my current take on this one. Well, you have one hell of a whopper coming up after this, but we're going to do it your way, Doha. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks. That's a nice Burger King uh, reference transition. We're still there. looking for sponsors, so hey, man. Uh, hey. I, we could be the Wampa Cave, uh, home of the Whopper. So Rodeo Burger, best fast food burger. I'm going to say it. <laughs> do, you know, do you know what? Do, you, do they have Rodeo Burgers in Canada? Well, I like we have burger kings i i just fast right. food in canada you have rodeo burgers at burger king though well i've never been or i've sorry i've never had a rodeo burger do you know what it is i don't know what it is but like can i guess can i just guess sure yeah guess i want to hear your your idea about what a rodeo burger might be i'm this guessing be it's gonna have <laughs> like crispy onion straws bacon it's gonna have like monterey jack on it and it's gonna have uh bar some type of barbecue sauce am i anywhere close to the what the or does it just you're, have onion rings on it you're pretty close actually i feel like you do i feel like I you're, don't, you're I uh, swear. not being completely honest i just you, know what you the, sure you never heard of rodeo, rodeo burger before i know what the formula is for any western style burger which is onion straw related crispiness uh some type of monterey jack and then barbecue sauce and then it's well, like so it is just straight up a, a burger patty with three onion rings and barbecue sauce on it. Okay, yeah. so the Monterey Jack—that's the add-on. See, they got a—they yep. got a hike should, up the price. It should have like re regular cheese, but some places like when I so I ba way back when in in high school and stuff, I worked in the kitchen at Burger King for a summer, and uh, and we put cheese on it. So it was cheese and onion rings and barbecue sauce. But I've noticed now sometimes when I get it, they just don't put the cheese on. So I don't know if somebody messed up somewhere, but. Anyway, you were very close. I, I was very impressed. <laughs> it's called shrinkflation. Yeah, it's called shrinkflation. I had a. It's so good though. The onion rings and barbecue sauce together. Yeah. It's like such a great flavor combination. I'm not a fast food guy at all. I, I very, very rarely have fast food. But if I do, if I'm on a long road trip and I just need to eat something in the car, I will generally try to find a Burger King and get a rodeo burger. Wow, that's a blast in the past. There was this magical summer many years ago where myself and like six of my closest friends all worked at different fast food fast food joints so we never mm -hmm. went hungry because whoever it was like whoever had the day off on those days would get together and then go visit whoever was working and then we would all oh. eat for free it was nice. like yeah burger king i worked at subway at the time there's another place working at another sandwich spot we had a, a manager at mcdonald's um a donut wow. place yeah we were absolutely stacked that like we would never pay for food all summer long it was the best summer of my fat life ever was that <laughs> i was gonna say yeah <laughs> yeah well i i the best benefit i i had from working at burger king is that you during your breaks you could secretly make whatever like frankenstein creation you wanted to in the kitchen back there you weren't supposed to but yeah yeah you know, we we did it of course <laughs> for sure man you should have seen the monstrosities i used to create at subway dude i'd be like yeah, yeah. let's there's like eight animals in here and it's amazing so let's go yeah 
That's uh, that. Wow, talk about uh, the, the pinnacle of humanity. Getting to eat eight animals in one sandwich. <laughs> I have like eight, wow, eight branches of the food chain are all now <laughs> between uh, this garlic parmesan loaf. So let's that go. Is, that is incredible. That's progress, baby. Well, on that note, let's talk about cunning. The actual flagship card for the aspect. Uh, as usual, it's double aspect cunning. Um, it's a uh, cost four, as they all do. We've got the solo art, and, and on the stream, uh, Tyler did mention that they tried to have art from each of the different time eras of Star Wars. So this is your, I don't know, extra movie era. <laughs> extra got the movie prequels, sequels, and and OT, and we've got solo. Um, so here's what it does: choose two in any order, as with all the other uh, hallmark, landmark kind of cards. Uh, return a non-leader unit with four or less power to its owner's hand. Give a unit plus four plus zero for this phase, which is interesting. Uh, exhaust up to two units. An opponent discards a random card from their hand. So there's a lot of good stuff here. I'm a little bit surprised that it's uh, give a unit plus four plus zero and not give a unit minus four minus zero. Um, but, you know, that's another thing where, hey, it's it's cunning. You might not be expecting it, right? So... Uh, yeah, I mean, just if you're playing Cunning, uh, you know, if you're going mono yellow, uh, you're probably going to put three of these in your in your deck. It's going to be good. This one feels like the most impactful of all the flagship uh, legendary events so far. Really? And, uh, okay. I, I would argue as such because hmm. what other impact do you have of exhausting two units or bouncing a unit uh discarding a potential card out of their hand like if they're only hanging on to one card not to mention think about it this way mm. it says choose two in any order let's say they have an eight eight on the board right uh yeah. like a what is it like the atat is an eight eight i think mm -hmm. it is e epic event your base make it a four oh then you cutting so you bounce it, and then choosing the order you want it, it's I'm going to bounce it, and then and then you discard a random card. But if they're holding on to no yeah. cards, that you just got rid of the eight eight as a for four for four costs. Now obviously it took some maneuvering and it took some quote unquote cunning to pull it off, but I think that this is important. Not to mention now we see some of the synergy of Jetta Jetta City, where the four or less power. If there's an eight power, you can Jetta City it down to four, and then bounce it that's an option right so i think sure. that this and the exhaust two units it's just like all right i'm just gonna you can't you can't attack and let's go like you could potentially three for one it's with very this. strong yeah it is very strong. i, I was uh i, I might have missed this in the stream too i because i now that i look at this again i i bet the case is is that you you they put plus four instead of minus four otherwise you could just minus four and then bounce so it's it might be too hard of removal for just four resources. So mm -hmm. and they might have said that on the stream too. I'm trying to remember. I I had it on on the second monitor. Well, so I listened to most of it, but not. They every mentioned word. that the initial one was actually plus. Uh, I think it was plus three plus O is what they wanted. Oh, really? Or maybe no. It, it was always plus, from what I understand. Is that mm. it was uh, it was always plus. So. I know oh, that I okay. know what from what they they mentioned was that there was additional text they wanted to put in to sort of qualify one of these four. I forgot what it was, but okay. they literally and the the explanation that Tyler gave was that they ran out of space on the card, so they didn't. Not put a lot it of in. space. There's yeah, not. See that. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, That's a legendary uh, yeah. baby. Hey, and it looks looks good. And let's talk about the artwork here because this is the same art artist who did um Hera 
the same artist that did the Jin Urso card last week. It's Sandra mm-hmm. Slavinska. So, what is your take on this art? <laughs> I, I I like this one a little bit more. Um, I think uh, the I, I like the way she draws characters for the most part because again, this one looks more, a little bit more clean. I don't know what happened with the Hera card, but this one looks good too. Uh, the background is still a little bit iffy for me like it kind of looks like he's in a foundry and there's like a bunch of sparks and stuff falling behind him like is the bar he's in like in the middle of exploding so the background i'm i'm not 100 percent sold down on but the the foreground looks good yeah it, i like it it feels to me like he's on geonosis where they're like building all the battle droids and stuff and yeah but there shouldn't be sparks flying all over the place no right? but maybe he's in the break Dangerous room place to play with paper cards yeah it's true yeah that's true but uh, no, I, I, we have to go back to the previous card for just one second. Sure. Here. I forgot to mention that it's a Spectre card as well. So that means you can play it in a Harrison Dula deck uh, that doesn't necessarily include the cunning aspect and not have to pay extra for it. So hell yeah. Uh, yep. Sweet. I uh, wanted to include that a non unit Spectre card. Kind of cool. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, next up is our good friend whose artwork was one of the original artworks <laughs> that were revealed. Um, this is, ladies and gentlemen, a one-drop cunning card, ground unit, Greedo, slow on the draw. That I do is, like the title there. Yeah, yeah, that's very good. <laughs> it's an underworld bounty hunter, three attack, one body for one drop, single aspect. That's pretty good. When defeated, you may discard a card from your deck. If it's not a unit, deal two damage to a ground unit. So, you mentioned Lepernome earlier. Um, mm-hmm. Lepernome that had the death rattle effect of deal two damage to your opponent's base. This is kind of the same with more conditions, plus you're, but you're just doing the damage to uh, a unit. This can be sincerely problematic because this kind of makes you worry about facing off against it with a unit, even if the trade is favorable. You the Greedo might you might trade like a three, four into this and then Greedo's gone. But if Greedo rips off the top and finds a non-unit card, it'll, it'll do extra damage or it'll snipe something else, take out a shield. It'll do something. There yeah. is value to this card. Uh, and it is an uncommon. Yeah, I think it's, I think it looks solid. Um, I mean, yeah, one for three, one, you're going to get some nice trade value right out of the gate. Uh, like you talked about, but, uh, the one defeated, I mean, you discard a card, but you know, maybe there's ways to play around that at some point. Uh, and then you get to deal uh, two damage back to a ground unit. When I look at this, I think uh, back to, uh, what is it? Is it C-3PO, I think, that lets you look at the top card of your deck? Or uh, something like that? So, it's like 3PO and R2, yeah. Some one of those two, yeah. yeah. So R2 lets you, well, 3PO lets you, like, look and, and uh, well, okay. Now I have to look it up. Now I have to look it up. Where are you going Hold to look on. it up, Doa? I'm going to FabDB to look it up. FabDB? Uh, FabDB. No, I'm talking... Wow, okay. So uh, I have a four-month-old uh, baby at home, and my brain does not work correctly because <laughs> I'm only getting like four to five hours of sleep a night. So sometimes words just coming out. So uh, words just come out. So, You're going to SwooDB. SwooDB, not yeah. FabDB. I go to FabDB for all my flesh and blood uh, card names. That'll Dang fab right. But SwooDB, I go for this. But uh, let's see... I will say, if you yeah, are a so flesh and blood fan, go to fabrary.net instead of FabDB. February is oh. the way to go. Oh, okay. All right. I, I am I not sponsored by them. Pen. That is merely yeah. my... my. So so here's what you do. You have Greedo out. Then you play R2-D2, who has a when played slash on attack. Look at the top card of your deck. You may put it on the bottom of your deck. So you can kind of filter a little bit, kind of scry, if you will. Set up your 
optimal Greedo turn. So there's already ways that have been revealed to manipulate this. And, and that's that's my main point with this, is that you can, you it's not always going to be as random as it looks on the card. You can construct things in a way where you can get maximum value out of this. So uh, yeah, you can take the chance, but if your deck is built around it, you can do well too. I have uh, a little bit of grief with this card. Many oh. moons ago, when the art was revealed, Charmer and I did like, okay, what do you think the aspects are? None mm -hmm. of us said cunning because we didn't think that <laughs> the Credo was a particularly cunning type of person. That's a very good point. Uh, I said aggression and villainy or just aggression as what I thought it mm -hmm. would be. He's aggressive, right? I don't remember what Charmer said, but none of us said cunning. So that's... I don't think I would have guessed cunning either. I wouldn't have said villainy because Greedo isn't evil per se he's just a bounty hunter right he's just trying to collect a bounty nothing wrong with that uh, you know greedo is kind of the victim in this in this circumstance but i i think uh i wouldn't have picked cunning either because yeah he just sort of walks up in a place blaster out that specifically has banned blasters so right off the bat he's upsetting the staff you know um and you're going up against han solo you know he should know better yeah so not not too cunning. I agree with you there. But the ability is very cunning oriented for the the purposes of the aspect of the game. So I Last, see it from that perspective. But not least, hit us. Yeah. Uh we got Syndicate Lackeys. Five resources, cunning only. Uh five four ambush, which means after you play this unit, it may ready and attack an enemy unit. So um, yeah, I mean, it's a, essentially, you know, it can be five direct damage to something on your opponent's side of the board. Uh, it can be something where you, you just pop it out, take out a smaller unit on their side, and then you've got a 5-2 or a 5-3 or whatever remaining. And that's something your opponent does have to take seriously, because if they don't remove it, that's a five damage threat potentially coming at their base next turn. So, yeah, overall, I, I think this is going to be a, a pretty strong limited card. Uh, when you're dropping something with five power in a limited game, I, I think that's going to that's gonna make your opponent sweat a bit. So I, I look at this, and I think Tyler said this on the on the reveal stream, too, that this is a, a, you know, a card that has a lot of limited value. And, yeah, I mean, looking at this, comparing it to other similar cards in other card games, that seems to be the case. It's very much a great limited card. It might not make the cut in certain... Hmm constructed but this is a card i would value high if i was within cunning i wouldn't pay seven for this card but i would happily pay five yeah. to drop it and immediately attack with it like just to be that kind of greasy uh, it's it's very fascinating i don't know what species that is on the card um, um i don't know either isn't that one of the like uh aliens from it's either from like solo or it's from the sequel from i think it's from remember that yeah it's from the force awakens where han solo yeah, is I like thought. stuck between two different pirate groups and he's kind of like negotiating between the two which is a great yeah, scene by the way i thought that that was a, yeah a great scene i really liked the force awakens and i know that people are going to hate me for it i thought it was a good movie i i think it was the best well of the three. i i thought that uh, well it was definitely the best of the the sequel trilogy but that's a low bar i mean it's uh yeah, i think it's, it's it was a good sort of reintroduction to the universe. Um, but, uh, and I like the characters, but yeah, that's, uh, I I have a lot to say, but it's a lot of it's negative. So I'll, I'll keep it to myself. Yeah. But, Go yeah, to I a think, Nerd Legion yeah. podcast starring <laughs> Doa and Monte Cristo to get all of your other nerdy, <laughs> uh, nerdy media. 
I'm I'm liking this card again. I think it's going to be a bigger star in limited than it will in uh, in in constructed, but doesn't mean that it's not that bad. This might be a, a card where like there's no charge mechanic there's no go face mechanic in this game mm-hmm. as far as i know it's more so rush which is you can attack units if this card had charge then it's a it's it's an all-star like this card is, is really good but the fact yeah. that you can't just deposit damage to a, a base upon deploy you you become a little bit more limited and i'm not very thrilled about a fa- a, a four body i think that and like five mm-hmm. to me is the bare minimum of safe and four is just just makes it that i worry but again if your whole mantra is gamble your future for the sake of the present then this might be a card you like i think it's good for a common card um i think if it had five health that would just present all sorts of breakpoint problems um so four health seems appropriate for attacking into something and and then not you know guaranteeing it's going to survive at the point in the game it can come out so yeah, I think it's mostly a limited card, but uh, but you know we'll see again. Set one, set one of a card game. Anything is on the table, really, as far as what might end up in a constructed deck. Sounds good to me. So let's uh, let's talk just for another minute or two before we go to the mailbag about cunning and our impressions of it. And we promise yeah. you, once Charmer's back here, we're going to give you a little bit more of an in-depth look at the archetypes, how the aspects combine to sort of. Um, wedge into what those archetype umbrellas may look like that is going to happen in the near future for now though let's talk about cunning a little bit and what impressions this gives you doa for me um if i'm going to draw parallels this feels like blue to me in magic bounce effects Mm. card draw and cycling effects disruption uh denial and just making your opponent feel uncomfortable. This, to me, also, like blue, comes with it uh, a higher skill floor where timing is important and making sure that you... Keeping track of your opponent's resources, what they're capable of, is going to be imperative. Much like in Flesh and Blood, when you're tracking what your opponent is pitching away and knowing that what sequence those cards are going to reappear and then identifying when it does this is the same thing you're going to look at your opponent's hand you're going to bounce cards back if you don't have keep a a a mental laundry list of what they have at their disposal to me it seems like knowledge is power when it comes to this class knowledge is or this aspect and being able to translate that knowledge into advantage that's where the skill the skill floor kind of takes a nudge up this kind of feels like a, a support aspect to me where it's uh, without getting too much into that conversation we said we're going to have later. It it feels like a, a support aspect to me where um, you're going to run like a cunning package with multiple different deck archetypes, right? Where it's like you want to do this. Your deck is supposed to do this thing. And so to support this thing, and it could be multiple different things with different leaders, you want to have this standard like cunning package that you run in your deck uh that uh you know is attached to the base you run um so that you can you know bounce things you know get a little you know resource manipulation all the stuff that we've seen that cunning has done it feels like stuff that's there to sort of support the main mission of your deck um which makes me very curious about what like uh you know main like only cunning decks would would bring you know because there's there's some stuff that's been pretty neat you know that we've seen revealed for for cunning uh you know with leaders and things so 
Um, I wonder what's out there, but to me, from what we've seen right now, aspect-wise, it feels like a support aspect, you know? That's a good assessment, because not all of the aspects are going to be focal points. Now, they also showed off, said, hey, but we got, like, Han Solo as a, as a leader. We've got the Falcon, mm -hmm. which is going to be an impressive card. But yeah, the Falcon's I, super good. It yeah. is super good. I just don't feel like a lot of... I don't feel like a lot of what Cunning is bringing to the table are build around. Um much like in command, you want to build up to the Star Destroyer. You want to build up. You want to get to an end game. Cunning to me, a lot of it is more so delay and disruption to get to a bigger piece of the pie that you're looking for. But to me, unless they reveal something earth shattering, I think that you're spot on here. I think that this is going to be the throw in category where um, cunning is going to represent like 20% of a deck list um, instead of the 33% you know, that a triplicate might actually have. This, to me, feels like... Yeah, possibly. Yeah, like, I, we'll get into all those metrics maybe later down the road, well, but... There's a there's a lot we haven't seen yet, so I, I think all decks are going to be, or all aspects are going to be, you know, possible, quote-unquote, main aspects for a deck, but I, I do think we've seen enough out of Cunning right now that I could look at, like, a lot of other archetypes I'm kind of thinking about with the game already and say, okay, I would run this with a cunning package you know where it went just example wise i would run like you know the luke skywalker deck right when you're putting shields on things you've got heroism vigilance i'm putting out stuff on the board i'm trying to play a slower kind of grindy game and i'm running some cunning stuff just to augment that you know to bounce things to you know be annoying that way you know or conversely i'm running something like a you know what well, what's a what's a good red leader to use an example here maybe uh there's uh, uh is sabine the leader i think sabine's the leader yeah sabine's the leader or like ig88 or something like that you know and i'm trying to play this aggressive play style and so i need a little bit of protection for you know the stuff out there because it's going to be a little bit more fragile a little bit more vulnerable um i'm going to need some shenanigans need to uh you know get into my opponent's hand to take out some key removal at the right time so i could run a cunning package with that so yeah, I, I think it's it's got a lot of usefulness in that category. But so it does make me wonder, you know, if people are going to build around it as a main aspect, uh, what that's going to look like. All right, before we move to the mailbag, one quick question: Do you think that this is going to be the most hated? Is this going to get the blue treatment from Magic? Is this going to be the most hated <laughs> aspect in Star Wars Unlimited? Uh, just off the top of my head, probably <laughs> depends on how annoyed people get by shield tokens. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll that's see. That's a good, that's a good <laughs> add on. All right, friends. Well, Doa, Charmer's not here. So, um, oh, you yeah. actually, you have plenty of shoes to fill for this episode. So I'm going to wow. ask you, let's just say, you know, you, sh you show up to the Wookiee household. It's life day. Oh, you've okay. got your, you've got your glowing orb in your pocket. All right. You show up, you open the door, they're all wearing their red robes, and you look down, and you're not wearing your red robe. Oh, no. What do you say? I've got a bad feeling about this. i got a bad feeling about this. I have a bad feeling about this. I've got a bad feeling about this. Okay. Quiet. Whoa. It is the bad feeling mailbag. Uh, not bad, not bad. <clears throat> thank you, thank you. Trying to remain topical, circling it back. That's uh, one of the important elements of, of comedy is callbacks to previous jokes. They, they become funnier as they sort of gestate for a little while. So, uh, yeah, hit us with, uh, with a mailbag question. All right. Well, we've got, to, we got one this week uh, from uh, Lightsaber Larry. Welcome back. 
Uh, does one need to have played the previous Star Wars card games to be allowed at the cool kids table when Swoo releases? All jokes aside, is there any character or phase of a character that you hope to not see show up in Star Wars uh, Unlimited? So we have kind of two different questions here. We got kind of a, a funny, serious, but not serious question, it's, but kind of serious at the same time. <laughs> um, you know, I think you will be cooler if you are aware of the other Star Wars card games, in my book, that would make you a cooler individual. Does that make you not cool to not know the other Star Wars card games? Of course not. You can still be cool and only know Star Wars Unlimited. It's just a matter of are you cool or are you even more cool, right? So <laughs> I wouldn't worry about it. But hey, there's a big wide world of Star Wars card games. So, uh, you know, the more you engage with it, the more fun it'll be. Um, I'll, I'll go, say, what, what's your opinion on well, that Well, I'll yeah. say this, Larry. Look, as somebody who has played the other Star Wars card games, um, somebody who is so intimately attached to Star Wars CCG to this day, the cool factor increase for me, it, it was felt. I, I de It definitely exists. However, okay. look at me. It took me from a 1 to a 1.3. So don't even worry <laughs> about it. The, the return on investment is not necessary. It's not worth it. I always like you, Doa, recommend that people go check out Star Wars CCG by Decipher yeah. because it's, in my opinion, one of the best card games ever created, ever. Easily. Yeah. Um, but no, you are always welcome, at least at our table, Larry. You mm. can always play. You don't need to have that kind of uh, expertise. Yeah. So let's let's get to kind of the main question here. Uh, the Just to restate that, is there any character or phase of character that you hope not to see show, show up in a Star Wars Unlimited. So this is kind of asking us for our, our sort of uh, subjective lore opinions, I think, on Star Wars. Is there any version of a character that, uh, that you know, annoys you enough to not want to see um, or you don't want to see for some other type of reason? Uh, what, what, what do you think? Oh, I, you answer this first. I have a very important answer to this, and I'm keeping yeah. this in within the framework of canon. OK, yeah, it is reasonable. Yeah. It is uh, secluded, isolated, on Octo Luke Skywalker. I don't want to see that Luke Skywalker. Mm, yeah. And Mark Hamill doesn't want to see that Luke Skywalker. <laughs> the fans don't want to see that Luke Skywalker because that's not, to me, Luke Skywalker. And I get it. It's mm -hmm. not for me to decide what Luke is or isn't. However, Luke's ascent... And Luke Skywalker in Legends and Expanded Universe lore that isn't canon anymore was much more fascinating, was much more refined, reserved, you know, than this. Almost like the character naturally developed in a way you would expect the character to develop uh, instead it, of being completely derailed by somebody else's mad vision for changing things for the sake of changing things. Wow. It's almost, Doa, like the experiences of your past might shape the decision and how you grow as a person and character. Oh, I don't know, Flake. That doesn't subvert my expe expectations at all. There's that's a that's a whole other podcast. But you're absolutely right because sometimes <laughs> the 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 cute way to to do a sequel or a movie is to take the character that everybody thinks they know the direction of, and for the sake of shock value. But what if? Yeah, but what if he was so angry and and a goofball and sarcastic when he never was that in the past? Yeah. I don't know. But what if the character just started 
completely not acting like the character. Ooh, I bet you didn't see that coming. Oh, wow, what smart writing. No, it's just stupid, all right? Bad. Bad writing. It's bad writing. Um, And I think you nailed it, honestly. Like, I I will extend what you said to all of the big three. Um, And even, and and Lando as well. Why not? We didn't really get good Lando moments in the sequels either. Just sort of showed up when he should have been in there from the beginning. But uh, anyway, that I... Going back to the, the the big three, right? The ones that were through the entire OT, right? Luke, Leia, and Han. All three of them ended up just really sad and lost <laughs> and, and like just shells of their former selves in the sequels for no reason. Like Han Solo, the whole arc of Han Solo's character um, going all the way back to... You can even include Solo a Star Wars story. I don't care. Go ahead and include that because... Solo's journey was being this sort of scoundrel that discovered, you know, like the value of of good and friendship and fighting for a cause and not just being self-centered. And, and you know, he went through this great transformation as a character only to then in the sequels, uh, you know, just kind of discard all of that and go back to being a, a, a sad sack smuggler. Um, where it's like, no, that's not what anyone wanted. You know, we wanted to see a more mature Han Solo that continued to grow, not reverted, right? They de-evolved the, yes. old, the OT trilogy, right? Luke, in being the person who had unfailing belief that there was good in everyone, that everyone, you know, could be saved, believed in it so much that his, his uh, you know, own dad cut his hand off and he still went back and, and helped redeem him. Um, suddenly, because maybe sort of possibly his nephew maybe might turn to the dark side. We're supposed to believe he's contemplating killing this kid. Are you kidding me? And then he just runs away from everything. Come on. Yeah. How in the world do you make that a realistic arc for that character? And then Leia as well. Like, I mean that we didn't, well, first of all, we just didn't get much Leia in the, in the, uh, you know, sequels. She just didn't really get a huge part in the story, um, which I'm fine, you know, moving on to the next, you know, generation of characters. But again, her character was kind of just this, like, beleaguered person in the New Republic who, like, she was one of the heroes, right? And then nobody listened to her, and so she just kind of went off and started her own, like, guerrilla movement again the against the First Order, too. So it's like everything she fought for just fell apart, and she kind of ended up splitting with the person that she loved and, and going off and leading kind of a sad, depressing existence. So it's like, why is it Hollywood wants our heroes to be uh, deconstructed like this and ruined like this newest Indiana Jones movie. He's a sad alcoholic because his child dies. Spoiler alert. Um, You know, poor Shia LaBeouf's character, Rip Mutt, apparently died in Vietnam. So now Indiana Jones, we join him as he's a sad alcoholic. And then you've got Willow in the Willow TV show that's now been removed from Disney Plus because it was sadly not very good. You know, Willow turned out to not be a great wizard after all. Oh, who knows? And he couldn't protect his village. And now, oh, isn't that sad? He's a ruined shell of a character. Like, why do they keep doing this? Why do they keep doing this to our heroes? Stop. Just let them age and grow naturally. We want to see the old and wise versions of these characters. We don't want to see the sad, dramatic versions. It's no fun. It's not realistic. So I'm 100% with you. I do not want sequel era big three. So... I I, I want to just wrap this up by saying you're you're spot on about Han Solo because the uh, Han Solo and Spider Man are my two one A one B all time fictional characters that I I love because they're so deep mm. or they were um, the thing about <laughs> Han Solo for me was that you have a smuggler 
who is in it for the money, doesn't care what, just cares wow. about how much, and I get that. He's ruthless. He's a mercenary. He just wants what he wants. It took Leia, Leia Organa, a strong-minded, ambitious, strong-willed woman to kind of slap him around a bit and be like, the world's bigger than your ego, and there's bigger things at stake. And he comes through, and that was sort of busting down the door or busting through the wall that was put up there when he that he built after he was betrayed in solo right like he had a love of his life that oh, betrayed sure. him and so he turned yeah. into that version of han solo perfect fine i'm all for it i love it and then when empire strikes back ends and you see him more accepting of a family he's inside he's no longer the lone wolf with chewbacca going through life a dollar at a time making a name for himself worrying only about himself and chewy that's not it. Now he's got a bigger picture. And you're like, wow, I can't wait to see where this goes. And where does it go? Right back to A New Hope. And he's like, yeah. oh, he's back to being hunted down by bounty hunters for bad cargo drops. Like, they just erased his character progression. Yeah. Just, and, just like that. All what, right. What sure. happened? What the hell happened to him having kids like they, he does, and I will spoiler well, they, they alert. They did have one, but uh, that didn't go out so well, I guess. Yeah, well, that's that's <laughs> the thing is like, the in in the legends they have three kids, and the kids yeah. are force sensitive. But in canon, he has one, who turned out to be a really interesting character. And all things aside, I think Kylo Ren, as bastardized as that character became, and how poorly it ended was probably the more intriguing villain where he was under the uh, under the shadow of his grandfather's legacy and he wanted to out of anger outdo it he he didn't want to achieve things for the sake of achieving them he wanted to do it to spite his grandfather's legacy he wanted like the whole thing of he's got vader's burnt up mask he's like haunted by that he wants to be better than his predecessors that is intriguing because vader was one hell of a um and is one hell of an act to follow but you see it like that first scene where he captures poe and he stops the the blaster bolt midair as he's interrogating people that's terrifying that you can do that i'm like that's why i think that the force awakens was a pretty good movie to like on its own it set up a lot of of, of good things outside of the original characters like if if the focus was to build up these characters finn amazing um poe really cool uh you know ray and 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 but like damn it kylo ren and all of the others were kind of playing second fiddle to mm -hmm. how badly they botched the sequels anyway that's it yeah so no uh, no sequel era uh luke lay Han, please yeah easy that's it. <laughs> there you go. That's, a, that's your answer. Uh, all right, friends. That does it for the Wampa Bad Feeling Mailbag, friends. Uh, if you want to go ahead and contact us, you have a question, a comment, a suggestion for something you want us to talk about on the show, you can email us, wamparadiopodcast at gmail.com. You can tweet at Wampa Radio. You can tweet at me, at WatchFlake. You can contact Doe if you want to, at GGDOA. By all means. Uh, we're also on Discord if you want to poke us. No problem. That said... Uh, I do want to also remind everybody, thank you for the five-star reviews. They are incredible. They are, um, they're stacked, and we appreciate you. It does so much for us 
But we want to also encourage you, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the YouTube channel, follow us, all the alert nonsense. It does go miles for us. And we're not just saying that. It actually, curtain pulled aside, the algorithm wants certain things. It wants five-star reviews. It wants follows. It wants interaction, comments, and stuff like that. That's how we get better. So thank you for already doing that. And we implore you, please, engage. That's right. I don't have a voice changing thing. I can't do the charmer thing. I was gonna but say, can, can you fake it? I can. Uh, no, I don't. I don't know if I could. I don't know if I could fake it. But I, I we can just say it because that's what you had to say to tell your opponent it was their turn in the old Star Wars CCG. So it was. May the force be with you. May the force be with you. We'll see you next time.